Famcast Media. Bitch. Welcome to the SM Podcast. Scribble and Mad Max. What? What? The name is not my pad. Keep my circle tight. Spitting up that verbal light to shed upon the vagabond who's searching for some more of life. Black. Now approaches the wandering Jew. I'm taking some bumps and lacing some blunts, and I'm just smoking this sauntering. Here we go. All right, what is up, motherfuckers? Welcome to the first episode of uh, the 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 yet to be titled Scribble and Mad Max collaboration podcast. Fucking extravaganza. What up, Max? What it, what it do? What's good, man? Uh, glad to be here. Glad to uh, get this started. I definitely think there is uh, a lot of real cool shit to talk about and a lot of cool shit to uh, parse through the underground. I don't really feel like it gets the uh, this section of the underground anyway. I don't think it gets the uh, level of credit that it deserves for the uh, kind of kind of artists that exist inside it so fucking but you want to know what i am genuinely curious i would like to hear uh your story uh because i would uh, i am well acquainted enough with mine i'm much more interested in uh in yours yeah, so, so we were talking this episode, you know, it's just going to be the introduction episode. We, we'll talk about what made us fall in love right. with hip-hop, how we got into hip-hop. And, right. um, you That's know, but, going with that. But, but before we get into that, though, me and Max have been talking, what, about a year, maybe? Uh, give or take. I don't know exactly how long it's been. My spatial time awareness is fucking not good. Six months to a year, I'd say, because we did a we did a collaboration on uh, my monthly medicine yeah. series. Right. No, that was, so that was in May of last year. Yeah. So it has been probably and so probably a few months before that. So yeah, I would say you know roughly you know within that time frame. But no, you want to know what? I gotta tell you, one thing that I thought was really cool about what you had going on was that. You know, for that time period, especially just consistently putting shit out and consistently putting shit out with like names that I had actually heard. Right. So, I mean, I also appreciated the idea because it doesn't happen very often. So I appreciate it when it does is you want the verse like real quick, just one take right through and just like, you don't, do it. You don't get a lot of that as much anymore. You know what I mean? It's like it really reminds you how accessible hip hop can actually be if you have like a grip of it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. Yeah, and that, so, that, yeah no, that that was really where where we jumped off and, and started talking a lot. And I'd I'd heard your name kicking around, and um, obviously you've been doing this shit for a long time. You know what I oh, mean? Yeah. Um, and oh yeah. You, you got some underground classics. You know what I mean? I, but I, uh, what? I, I I'd like to think at least a couple based on just the time frame. Because at this point, I don't. I would never want to try to make an objective opinion about my own songs like it's good or it's bad i have certain songs that i like more than others but i just that's not my place like i made it it's not my place to judge it right i just here it is but so like but for the time period because i feel like not a lot of people were doing it like that then yeah 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 so 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 i went back and listened to your shit and uh uh, was really vibing on it, so I'm like, I'm definitely gonna get this motherfucker on a track. So we did uh, Battle Beyond the Sun, right? Um, right. And it, the shit turned out amazing. And then we just we just kept talking, and we realized we're in, 
we're, we're into the same shit. We're we're into the same metal. We're into the same hip hop. We understand yeah. underground hip hop. I think we got a real good uh, clear cut view on it from being inside of it. You know what I mean? And that'll oh, yeah. give us a lot to talk about. And and and, oh, sure. and, and we talk underground hip hop. Yeah. You, have, so have you ever come east like for any period? No, no, I've never. I've no, only. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I've never. Um, I mean, I, I, I've gone to Ohio is the farthest I've gone, but that's what that's Midwest. You know what no, I mean? Fair that's, enough, I've been to Ohio. And know, we should say, we should, we should say, I'm in LA. I'm in LA. I'm seeing you're Boston, right? Well, no. So, well, I live outside of Boston, but I got to tell you, if I'm anything, I would have to say I would more call it east coast just because i've lived all up and down that i lived in jersey city i lived in philadelphia i've lived up here in mass i've lived in massachusetts the longest i will give right. it that but you know i've moved all over the place so i don't like yeah but you know what none of it matters when i listen to your verse and i hear the boston accent in it you're from boston uh, well, okay. bro <laughs> so that's, that's, that's not the case because i don't i don't drop the eyes and you know because i don't thank god i don't fucking do that <laughs> It's actually funny because that is what the New York accent is too at its furthest. Yeah. Like, hey, I'm walking here. It's the exact same thing. Let's go on a furthest. let's go on a walk, get a cup of coffee. Uh, exactly, <laughs> exactly. But you know the funny part about that is that it's all bastardized British. That's what it actually all comes from, like at, at its core. So I just fucking language is weird. But so yeah, no, dude. At this fucking point. Like, again, I was thinking about this the other day. Like, so what What would you consider to be your intro year? Like, what was the year you would say, this is the year I started rap? The year I started or the, the when I started being fucking serious about it? Well, so... Okay, so I guess being serious about it, because for me, I had been, like, writing all kinds of whatever since I was, like, a, you know, in eighth grade. Right. I hadn't really recorded or done anything like that. I recorded a couple verses in 2001 with a homie, but they never really never went anywhere. And fucking, it wasn't until 2004, after the gathering, after I graduated high school, I met Low Key, and that was how I recorded my first tracks, basically. And then when that went somewhere... You know, we can we can get into that story, you know, in a minute. But like I said, I am more interested in uh, like and for me, that was 2004. So, well, well, similar to you, like there will be a a lot of similarities that we're going to discover about each other. Oh, all right. Um, I need to get the fucking You're going to be able to hear me just the same. I started I started I started rapping when I was 11. Um, Basically, what happened is. uh those who know know and i'll repeat it here just for the the people who don't know um i was placed into foster care as a kid you know what i mean so so i moved i moved from southern oregon to la when i was when i barely turned 11 years old you know after foster care and shit like that my parents didn't get their shit together so i moved i moved to la to live with my grandparents that's when i really before that the only hip-hop i was aware of was kid rock and fucking Eminem, you know what I mean? Right. No, and that's fair. I that, I wasn't aware of it. Well, so I actually, I guess I can't agree with that because for whatever reason, the school that I went to when I was a kid, 
lot of the a lot of the white kids listen to rap. Like I remember these a lot of these kids like listening to Tupac when it was a thing. Right. I never actually got Tupac albums. The one that I did get is actually really funny. Uh, Rex and Effects. All I wanna do is um, 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 oh, I had that shit on a fucking cassette tape when I was I had to have been like seven or eight years old. Yeah, well, that's crazy. Um, that's a banger. Um, yeah, no, so, that definitely so, was. But so, no, so you went down to LA. Please continue. Yeah, yeah, and, and basically that's where I discovered the hip, the entire hip hop spectrum. You know what I mean? And I really that started cool. before that. I was, you know, my parents were metalheads, so I was into Slayer and Megadeth and, right, and, right. and shit like that. So even at nine, eight years old, I was writing lyrics, trying to write brutal metal songs, metal lyrics. You know right. what I mean? Oh no, I can dig it. And uh, uh, basically, when I discovered hip hop, um, I started rapping immediately. So I was like 11 years old, but I didn't start taking it serious until I was, you know, seventh, eighth grade, 13, 12, 13, and then and then I started being fucking real serious about it. Um, All right. You know, and, and here's a little fun fact: not a lot of people know this uh, about me. Is I started off um, as a Christian rapper. No doubt, I can dig it. I, I said, and, and here's why: I was obsessed with Eminem and Limp Biscuit when I turned 11, and I would okay. I would blast it, and I loved the vulgarity of it, and and the shockingness of it. Right? I, I mean, uh, yeah, the perfect right. thing for a 10, 11 year old. You know what I mean? Who was angry? Very visual, very visual lyrics. You know, very expressive. Pissed off. I mean, that's why they fucking. That's why they were able to do what they did. Yeah. And uh, my grandmother was a Christian, like a like a devout, hardcore Christian. So she took all my Rob Zombie CD. I don't know how many times she took my Hellbilly Deluxe CD. It had to be three, four times, and I just kept getting another one. <laughs> kept getting another one. You know what I mean? So not with Eminem. She was horrified. Eminem and Kid Rock. She was horrified of those motherfuckers. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah, Kid Rock was the devil without a cause. <laughs> and there will be a lot of Kid Rock love on on this podcast from my end. Uh. No, no. Hey, so listen. I will tell you this. To me, I really look at it where, first of all, Kid Rock was on the first Joker's card. Nobody can ever take that away from anything. Yeah. But second of all, quite frankly, he did what... I mean, put it to you like this. I think that it's crazy. He got so famous that he outshined his old story. Like, the Twisted Brown Trucker Band was a bad fucking posse, man. Like, there was a lot of crazy motherfuckers in that band. Their drummer was, uh, I don't know her name, but the uh, black lady, she would fucking rock, man. Yeah, yeah. She she hits those skins hard as fuck, too, man. She grooves and... Dude, I remember because I did. I was living through the the TRL stage of fucking MTV with Kid Rock was famous all through that. Like I remember when they did the uh, the behind the music or whatever it was for, for not behind the music, but like some kind of fucking on set for the cowboy video. Yeah, and uh, American Badass and shit. Like, oh, that's so funny too. Ron Jeremy was on that. Oh, dude, Ron Jeremy is in so many music videos in the 90s, bro. He's like, if you didn't have Ron Jeremy in your video in the 90s, you weren't popping. So, so I was, I was, I was into Kid Rock and Eminem, and this led to those CDs being taken away, and my grandmother dragging me to church, 
typical story for a lot of people. Um, but when I go to church, they have a they have a bookstore with CDs and shit, and that that's where I discovered a lot of hip hop that I fell in love with, and that actually okay. took me into the the the. The further depths of hip hop culture, you know, I fell in love with KJ52, Red Cloud, Braille, all these actual dope Play-Doh, these dope MCs who were lyrical boom-bap rappers, who, you know, they just had a Christian edge to them, and they were kind of—it was kind of sold to me as this is the Christian alternative to Eminem, this is the Christian alternative to 50 Cent. You know what I mean? Well, you want to know what? What I will say, I think is, uh, if not funny, but telling, is that the people that put me on to Red Cloud were from Colorado. Yeah. And so it makes sense because out east, nobody would have heard nothing like that. And I was actually thinking this earlier. I think that it's very interesting and it's very cool that, like, for me, I grew up, I get, you know, right over the bridge from New York City, or if not right over the bridge, you know, pretty close. We were there pretty often. And. So I was just aware of that, you know, that's where hip-hop was born. Hip-hop is a huge part of New York culture. They embrace it pretty heavily. Yeah. But the fact that you were able to, that you were introduced to hip-hop from a West Coast perspective, I think that's really cool because West Coast was like the beginning of the refinement of, of hip-hop. Because I feel like it went East Coast, West Coast, down South, everywhere. Yeah. Like... And there was, a, there was, in those Christian rappers, especially Red Cloud and Braille, who were West Coast MCs, I mean, right. that, that really, they would, they would drop, you know, Ice-T, they would drop names like uh, uh, King-T and Ice Cube and shit like that, and that made me discover even more and dig into the culture, you know what I mean? So, I really learned a lot from listening to a lot of that shit, and, and when I was a teenager, that's all, you know, I was record I was recording my own shit even then. So, I wasn't allowed to be saying foul shit while my grandmother's in the kitchen. <laughs> you right, know what right, I mean? Right. So, so I'm spitting Christian rap for a long time and eventually uh uh I get kicked out of high school. I I I, I move back to Oregon with my high school girlfriend. And okay. um I become a real fuck up in Oregon. <laughs> I just start doing real dumb shit, and um, Oregon seems to be the place for that. <laughs> and you know, I was around a lot of toxic motherfuckers, but uh, eventually, eventually, um, she got pregnant, moved back here, and I said, you know what? I'm not, I'm not gonna just stay here and become a fucking drug addict. I'm gonna move back to Cali. And raise my kid and shit going, like that. Going back, back to yeah. Kelly. I'm sorry, obligatory. You had to do it. So, so basically, from then on, you know, I was 19, 20. At this point, um, I started doing mixtapes. I'm like, I gotta get my fucking name out there somehow. So I started doing mixtapes. Oh man, that was the bro. That was the fucking wave, like the Dap Piff era. Oh, oh yeah, Lord. dude, all about Dap Piff, bro. I still got oh, shit on there. Lord. You can still all find all my shit on there from back in the day. Yeah, I was gonna say. I'm pretty sure that a lot of those databases, you know, they're still. Somebody's paying for the fucking server. Yep. So remember, remember, it. remember, not SoundCloud. Remember SoundClick. 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 Yeah, bro. So SoundClick. That's where I found DZK. That's yep. where I found BTZ. Well, that's where I found Anno Domini. 
That's where I found Tristan on the track. That's where fucking everybody. DZK. DZK was number one on those hip hop charts every fucking week. Yes, he was. With a new banger, bro. Yes, he was. I know. I wanted to win. This is so funny. This is unlocking a core memory. I haven't thought about this in so long. I remember I used to check every few weeks, however long it was, just trying to see if he was dropping new shit because he didn't do albums. He would just put a fucking song out every once in a while. Yeah, which which as a hardcore DZK fan is so frustrating. (laughs) No, I think, dude, you ain't got to fucking tell me. Are you kidding? I... DZK is for sure one of the most influential rappers to my style, and I say that, you know, and you know, as a, you know, as a show of respect to the man. But the reality is just when you look at the kind of you know, syllable structure that the man has and the kind of rhyme schemes and shit. Oh, dear. it's just like so ahead of his time. It's kind of ridiculous. It's, you actually, know, that he was the first. He was the first one where I heard him when I turned like twenty. And I was doing this dark, this dark rap. Now, now, I didn't come from the Juggalo world. I wasn't into ICP, right. Twisted. I was into right. Vinnie Paz, Jedi Mind Tricks, that kind of right, shit. Right. But when I heard DZK for the first time, it literally—I'm not even kidding about this. It literally saddened me because I'm like, this motherfucker did everything that I ever thought of doing and did it perfectly. I can never top this motherfucker. He's doing everything I ever envisioned and I was burnt for like a month, bro. Like I couldn't write because I was constantly comparing myself. If I did write, it sounded like DZK. know <laughs> was funny actually. I remember a situation very, very specifically and it's actually ironic that it's about cannabis technically. Um, Excuse me, who Cannabis, I think, is a very dope MC. Excuse me again. But fucking, I was going to the Art Institute in Colorado, in Denver. And so I remember I was trying to write after listening to some cannabis and having a real problem writing, like I just couldn't make it happen. And I realized later on. Is because I was trying to write like cannabis. Yeah. And if you try to write, and it's not to say, by the way, because I think that it is a skill, so to speak, to be able to parrot somebody's, you know, somebody's flow or somebody's thought. But it's not what you're supposed to build your shit on. And I was still pretty new in doing it. And so I realized, like, I it, it is funny how that kind of can happen when you hear somebody lyrically do something. Where it's just like, I, how the fuck did you think of that? Yeah. Like, and then if you're a good lyricist, usually the second thought right after that is, "Fuck, man, I should have thought of that." Uh, yeah, like, that's yeah. And, and cannabis, that's another great example because he was next. When I heard cannabis, and and I'd oh, heard, yeah. I'd heard heard a uh, uh, second round knockout or first round knockout. And I'd no, heard second round, second round knockout. knockout. I, I'd heard, I'd heard shit here and there, but the first time I really sat down and listened to 2000 BC, I was like, "Yo, I'm never, I can never fucking, I should, I should just quit. I should quit right now and never fucking pick up a mic again. Because what, what can I contribute to hip hop that cannabis didn't do? You know what I mean? But eventually, you're, you're a real MC, so you get out of that, that. Oh yeah, you know. And, no, see, that's what I know. That's what I was gonna say was that I think that every good rapper has had that moment because 
that really just speaks to exactly how much diversity is offered by just the culture of hip-hop is that every different rapper because i've thought about this a lot and this is the whole reason that remixes exist you could write a verse over the same beat you know a thousand times you could it's not going to sound the same every time you do it yeah but it's the same beat so it's like the amount of different things that you can potentially do here's a really good example so a lot of the time with myself the lyrics that i write will be heavily influenced by the movies that i'm watching at the time yeah and just that as a variable just there's so many different things that can happen where just if you're a good rapper then you're able to do so many different fucking things and i really do think that at this point trying to quantify like who's the best is like oh it's I, impossible I think, it's impossible there's, there's there's no best you know yeah. and that that's what you come to realize over time when you're young you think there there are rappers that are the best when i when i was 20 and i heard dzk and cannabis i thought no one could ever fuck with them ever but then you right. realize well there's so much there's so many people like that actually that people with dude i'm still amazed when people with who have no buzz at all who haven't really put out a record or toured or even done a show i listen to some of these kids music and i'm like damn these kids are fire but you know what they're never gonna go anywhere because they don't know how to do anything no you want to know what I seen somebody saying something about this recently about how you know these kids get their chops in the studio but they really don't they're not performers they don't know how to go on stage and that's how that's part that's a big part of hip-hop man rocking the crowd oh, yeah. fucking oh, having yeah. presence that's, realistically i mean if we want to take it back to the original 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 roots of hip-hop the recording had nothing to do with anything no it, it was, was just all about, about rocking the, it, it yeah. was just about rocking the party yep so at that point i think the whole idea you know the mc the master of ceremonies everybody's always said that you got to be able to lead the crowd and i do think that that is a big thing like for me i'm not gonna lie because of the kind of music that i make i usually do my rap shit more like what you kind of look at like a stand-up comedian like i just talk shit in between songs yeah and then we just go into the next shit like there's a lot of rappers that don't do that. There's a lot of rappers that are a lot more hype. I'm trying to do more shit like that going forward, like more, you know, like dancey shit. Yeah. I remember saying to like, I'm trying to make some, I'm trying to not always make some, hey, bro, you're scaring the hoes type music. <laughs> yeah. Because like, nah, awesome real shit. Well, dude, underground, do- underground hip hop is enough of a sausage fest as it is. The only place where you can see some exactly. beautiful... If you want to see beautiful women in underground hip hop, you gotta to go to the Atmosphere show. Yeah, yeah, you wanna know what? I think that it's also, as long as the children are, you know, it's like a college town and they're of age, a lot of this new shit, like, uh, and I fuck with some of this stuff, but uh, Suicide Boys for yeah, sure. Yeah, 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 but is Suicide uh, Boys, I mean, this could be a, another episode in itself. What is underground hip hop? Okay, 
Well, so this is what I'll say. Because Suicide Boys, that's not even actually underground. You want to know what? This is what I will say. I think that the underground has a lot of different layers, and it's become especially deep now that making hip-hop is not as difficult for it to be decent quality. To be able to have your own microphone and your own recording equipment in your own house is really accessible. And so because of that, technically speaking, there's an almost uncountable amount of underground hip-hop out there. It's just shit that nobody's really hearing because it's just some dude doing some shit. Although I will say, for people that actually take the time, put in the effort, learn the, you know, learn the craft, learn the process and actually like work the road, work the fucking, you know, do, you know, you pay your dues, do your minutes, that fucking, there is still a lot of layers to a point where like, we are in a layer of the underground. Like I personally, myself, I think that I have a little less recognition than you do, but in any case, I think that we are relatively speaking in a level of the underground that's like the level above us I think is like like when you think like Sess Crew or fucking yeah like cause that's strange music but that's strange music yeah like not like Teflon is mainstream famous for sure but, but the right. artists underneath him are not exactly yeah exactly and so at that point like but so the difference there is that like I I really do look at it where it's really hard to gauge just from um let's say Spotify numbers yeah what somebody is actually making with their music you don't know what they're getting paid for shows you don't know what they're getting paid for their merch and so their collabos all the other kind of shit that goes into it right and so it's hard to say by looking at whatever somebody is doing whether or not they're like popping because you would think that's what it comes down to right like if you're making money yeah like that that but the the point i guess i'm trying to make is i think that the level above us is and this is kind of a weird thing though because i look at people that have like 20, 30, 50, 100, 200, 300,000 monthly listeners on Spotify, technically speaking, if you're not paying anybody for that, if that's your account, you're not paying for listens, and that's organic. I remember listening to something that uh, Kato on the track said once, which was, I'm trying to remember the numbers exactly, but he said, if you want to be able to make, and I'll be generous and say, like, a, a modest working wage like not like a lot of money but i like like to be able to work as a musician yeah you have to get thirty-five thousand people listening to two songs a day now this was a few years ago so saying that i don't know if they've changed the model on how much you get for spotify listens plus yeah. there's other stuff but well, if, yeah, if you're going, if you're if you're if you're planning on getting paid from streaming or any music, actually, even physicals, uh, right. you you better be doing numbers, because the only right. way to get paid that I've experienced is merch and collaborations. No, and you want to know what? I think that it, with merch, if you do it correctly, a thousand percent, and collaborations, 
that is definitely good business because it's actually a very interesting thing. I that's how I got my here. car, bro. I tell people that's I got I bought a car on rap money, on collaboration money, and now look, it's not a fucking uh, Cadillac. It's a it's a it's a Ford Explorer, goddamn it. But you know what? That's hip hop money. How many people can say that? No, nah, bro, I fucks with that. To me, the thing that I've been able to say a few times in the past, which I, I, I honestly have been pretty proud of, is that many multiple times over the course of my life since I've been a rapper, I've been able to pay my bills with rap money. So, beautiful. I definitely, like, that to me is, because it's never been some huge thing, but it has happened many different times where, like, that shit definitely came through and made it happen. Yeah. And I look at it where I also, and maybe this is, knee, maybe I'm kneecapping myself here, but I really, maybe it's because I'm from the East Coast and New York City generally in that area that I have this kind of feeling, but I just, the idea of being the most lyrical or like to spit the hardest bars, that was always, I was always under the impression when I was coming up that that's how you get signed. That's how you get on. That you got to be able to spit the hardest. Well, and that's how it and, was for a That's how it was in the 90s. Nah, and you are, well, so I disagree. I think that that was very important, much more important than it is now. But I think that, just keep it in mind, the actual effort that it required to record songs that you could distribute was so much more analog and like the one of the last songs on um in the absence of sanity uh my saving grace so i recorded that at a analog studio and like every other place i had gone was you know dudes using computers this guy actually recorded he had a computer but excuse me he recorded everything analog yeah and like, I remember I needed him to loop the beat, and he had to do it, like, some weird, different way, but he actually figured out how to do it. And, like, just the the, the level of craftsmanship that goes into that shit, um, I feel like I'm probably going off track from what I was actually saying. <laughs> well, no, we were talking about uh, how, you know, spitting raw bars, how you thought you could get signed back in the day, because your whole goal was to spit the hardest, the rawest, lyrical right. bars. No, well, so, oh, I'm trying to remember. I just, the fact that, I see, again, I'm trying to figure out where the fuck uh, I was trying to conflate that fucking experience with just, for at the time, I remember making that happen was well no okay so this is the point that i was making fucking genius that i am i'm glad that we took the long way around is that back in the 90s or the 80s or any of that shit actually recording tracks you had to put down money you yeah. weren't just like well yeah you couldn't uh, just go into your room and record on your laptop you had to fucking exactly. save up the and money you had to find a studio that wouldn't gouge your ass getting beats made you basically oh. in certain cases you either had to hire a band or you had to find somebody who was on the cutting edge of that shit because making beats was not something that was super common at that time yeah. there were people to play the keyboard yeah and then you know what i'm saying that they weren't like the way that we would look at what you call making beats is not what they were doing for, for a long time right but so i think that it's that for 
at the time, it was easier to get put on by the people that had the access to the recording equipment and the, the network. Right. If you were really good, because that was what they thought was the marketable skill. And then eventually it more it merged or more. Well, it, that, into... that's because it was the marketable, marketable skill in the 90s. If you go yeah. to today, the marketable skill is making really melodic, catchy, not even rapping most of the time. It's like this sing-songy, heavy auto-tuned. And I'm not even look. I do. There is a part of the 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 elitist underground in me that is like, fuck all that shit. Fuck all that shit that's been influenced by Drake and all that. You know what I mean? But at the end of the day, like a good song is a good song. So I can respect a good song. You know what I mean? Yeah, and no, that's I, something. Yeah, I that's something I couldn't. That's something I couldn't do 10 years ago. I couldn't listen to a pop song that's claiming it's a hip-hop song and be like, yeah, that's dope. Yeah, it definitely has become a thing where hip-hop is so much a part of pop culture that it's not even, like, distinguishable in a lot of cases. Like... Cardi B is a pop star. She's not a rapper. Yeah. She raps, but she's a pop star. That's the same with Nicki Minaj or fucking. Uh, well, it's like it's like K, it's like K, KRS One always says, anyone can rap. Are you MC? Yeah, well, it's also that I was gonna say you could also say like Lloyd Banks, which is uh, rapping is like fucking everybody's doing it. Yeah, but but you know a lot of people rap, few people MC to quote uh, Crumb. Yeah. Um, now that is now that now that I agree with. So so Lord. so we this episode is going to be an hour. Uh, we spent thirty five minutes. Let, let me um let me just wrap up my shit and then we I want to because I want to dig in I want to dig into your shit too. So all right, no pause. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> so oh shit. <laughs> yeah, that took me a minute. That took me a minute. Um, so basically, basically I got back from Oregon and at this point I'm still, um, I, when I was in Oregon, I discovered Diabolic, I discovered, I, I discovered the, the first La Coca Nostra album and up until that point, I was heavily into Atmosphere, Sage Francis, Brother Ali, the Rhyme Sayers Camp, that's what I was oh, into, yeah. so before that point, um, that's pretty much what I was listening to, you know what I mean? And, and trying to emulate. And then when I heard Diabolic and La Coca Nostra, I'm like, oh, there are rugged white boys like me. There are motherfuckers who can go out here and be successful and really fucking do this shit. So I started putting out all these mixtapes. Enter, enter the Slaughterhouse. I had Diabolic on that mixtape. Uh, which, by the way, for another episode down the road, we'll have Diabolic on. And I've... I've no, that's good. No, I gotta tell you, bro. I've done a couple of shows with him. He's one of the he most is, humble and forthcoming yeah. people I've ever met. I have a, I, I, I have a, a great, I have a great story about. He's the first person from the East Coast I ever talked to, and I, no shit. And it was on no the shit. and it was on the phone, and I thought he was the biggest fucking asshole ever just by our conversation <laughs> on the phone. But then we we talked, you know, after that, and I realized, oh no, that's just how motherfuckers talk over there. You know what I mean? But I've told him that story, but. Um, so, so I discovered this shit, and I started putting out these mixtapes, and gaining ground, and eventually, um, you know, this is, I'd say, 2012 to 2015, I put out maybe six, seven mixtapes, and I, each one started getting more and more downloads, and I started getting a little buzz, 
and um, I eventually uh, hooked up with this dude, this legend, Danny Diablo, who oh, um, yeah. he was on a he's on a label called Force Five Records. So he signed me to Force Five Records, and we put out my first technically my first album, Skinwalker. And right, uh, right. I had I had Saint Dog from Cottonmouth on there, and it did really good. You know what I mean? And I eventually left that label, and it's no disrespect to to, to to anyone at the label. I just wanted to do my own thing, and I dropped. You know, I continue to drop mixtapes, constant content. But um, the last album I, I dropped was Black Eyed Children in 2021, and that's my favorite shit that I've done. You know, I got uh, Chris Barnes from. Six Feet Under Cannibal Corpse on there. I got Red Cloud, which was like a childhood idol of mine. You know, yeah, uh, that, that is pretty wild, bro. Marcos from POD. So that's basically, you know, that was 2021. 2022, I dropped two EPs, three mixtapes, couple of singles, and now 2023, me and Max got something cooking up. We can't fully talk about yeah, yet. Yeah, no, we definitely do need to, especially if I'm writing like I'm writing right now. Cause I don't, I don't like to jerk myself off, but I always get worried when I have these moments and I can't write and I'm like, Oh fuck, did I lose it? And then I finally write something and I'm like, no, okay, you're good. Let's get back to work now. So yeah. fucking, yeah, no, that's definitely fucking, I'm trying to, and you want to know what, just to, you know, to segue in, I, which I, by the way, I love how much you've like thrown yourself into making a lot of shit. I've been really trying to. I, I'm trying to morph more into a person that does shit like that because, number one, in today's market, it's really important to do that. As a rapper, you have to put out a lot of content. Well, dude, in today's market, it, your most hardcore fans, if you're not dropping something every other month, your most hardcore fans don't give a fuck anymore. That's the yeah, world we're no, living so, in right now. It's crazy. That, and you want to know what? So that is something that I'm trying to make as a, as a change for this coming year. However, uh, what I was saying is the segue, the shit that I just wrote recently, um, touching on uh, how I had started. Like, my thing was, I got into making music because I basically got fucked with a lot as a kid. And, you know, it could have been a lot worse. I honestly did not have a bad childhood, so I'm really not even complaining. But the reality of the situation was that in, like, eighth grade, uh, after Columbine, I was one of the kids where, you know, the media's all like, oh, shit, it's this fucking trench coat mafia. The weird kids in your school are going to do it to you. And I was a weird kid in my school, so they basically... The school was like deliberating on whether or not they were gonna like kick me out, and then my mother was like, "No, fuck that," pulled me out of school for about a month, and then I came back, and there was a dude who was like assigned. Basically, he was assigned to watch me, like if I went anywhere. That's crazy, now, bro. This is crazy. Now, interesting story. Is this I just cause, just because you look what? Just because you were a white boy who rocked the fucking. Who looked well, because, uh, because I look well because I was the weird kid in the school. I did listen to heavy metal, like white. I would wear my white zombie shirt to school and Marilyn Manson shirt and stuff like that. Yeah. So I was the weird kid, and there was a conversation on the bus once where kids were relentlessly fucking with me, and I said something along the lines of, "You guys are lucky I have self control because if I didn't, that Columbine shit would happen all over again." Right. And so. They go to the, they go tell their parents. Ah, and then, I was one of those. Okay. What okay. do you do? 
Right. No fucking, no consideration for the fact that I have no access to guns and I'm 12. But right. one way or another, the what what came of that was my father actually said something to me where he was like, I mean, why don't you just, you know, I see you've been writing a lot and stuff. Why don't you just like write a story or a song and kill them in there? You can't get in trouble for that. And so I was like, you know what? What beautiful, gonna beautiful, do that. yo, props to your pops, bro. That's beautiful advice right there. And so with that, I fucking, I did, I wrote a version of Class Time Horror that I lost that is completely different than the one that I made, that, that actually got made. But Class Time Horror definitely became one of the most important songs to my history because that was on In the Absence of Sanity, which... Well, let's I talk about just, let's talk about how you got to the point. Right. Oh no, that's no, that's exactly where I was going. So, the Gathering 2003, I wrote a song for the MC contest. And for those who don't the, know, he's it, talking about you know the Gathering. You know, there yeah, just no, just in case there's some people loads. who don't know. Well, no, I was, was going to say that story is going to flesh itself out in a second. But so, 2003, I write a song for the. Um, uh, MC contest, but it does not end up. I don't end up doing it for whatever reason. Just having a good time, and that song ends up being the secret track under the absence of sanity. But so 2004, I go to the gathering. I meet Loki, Sleepy, the Reverend Apparition, Green Villain. That's what he goes by now. Um, all these different dudes from Pennsylvania. I, they, the, the first thing originally I saw, which I talk about on a Mission Effect track, um, so I look over, Green rears his head back, and head butts the fuck out of some kid. Just blam! And then the dude starts bleeding, and then Green grabs the dude and licks the blood off of his head. <laughs> That's 2004 at the gathering. And so, after the gathering... I, I, online, he asks for a fan sign because he's doing Temple Rain. It's him, the dude Green the headbutted him, and then Sleepy, uh, the homeboy Sam. I got all the love for that guy. Um, fucking, he asked me to make a fan sign. We have a conversation. I tell him that I want to, like, I want to record songs. He lives in uh, Levittown, Pennsylvania. Not that far away. So, I can take the train down there. And fucking, I actually, I think I said this before, um, I thought I was going to meet Green. And I guess that was because he was the person who made the most um, heavy impression, right. so to speak. But after meeting Loke and fucking started to work with him, he was part of the actual Juggalo Underground. Like, they had done shows, they had recorded songs, they had, like, they were actually doing it. And... It really did come down to the people who just had the gumption to stand up and be like, either book their own shows, or I appreciated people opening for the the acts coming through town back in the day more than I do now. Because back in the day, you just had to get, but you could only get booked if you were dope in the area. Right. Nowadays, you get booked if you pay. But back in the day, you could get booked if you were dope in the area and you were making noise and they knew who you were. And so, to that end, it was just like working with them. I started making some shit, and I made a few songs. 
And most of those songs are on Repressed Memories. That's a Seven Seal Entertainment mixtape. That was one of the first things they ever did. And not great songs, but you can see that there's potential there. Like there was, it was competent, basically. And so I had this beat that I found on Kazaa. You remember Kazaa? Yeah. LimeWire. Of course. So it was this beat that you may have even, if you were downloading beats off the internet, you might have heard it. It was... uh. So it was a beat that I ended up hearing a little bit, you know, like it was one of the few first beats that was just circulating online. And I wrote Come and Get Me to it. And then 2004, after the gathering, Hell's Pit is released on August 31st. And because I just graduated high school, and I'm 19 years old, and my parents are the fucking greatest people on earth. They paid for me to have a hotel party for my birthday. And it was quite the soiree, to say the least. But I show up, and this friend of mine, Danielle, is like, I, I always remember walking up there, she's smiling at me, and she says, Jay wants to sign you. And obviously that's not what happened, but... Violent Jay from Insane Clown Posse. Yes, correct. They were playing, had, uh, had this website, Hatchet Radio, a very early uh, internet radio. These juggalos were just motivated to do this shit. They were playing Hell's Pit for juggalos that weren't able to buy it for whatever different reason. Couldn't get to the CD store, didn't have the money, whatever. And so in between some of the songs, they would play certain underground rappers that they, you know, like that she knew and was friends with. Because, you know, again, we're starting to fucking try to do this shit and Jay heard the song thought it was good and he reached out to a dude by the name of Toast I don't remember his real name he was always a cool guy to me I actually haven't heard from him in many years I hope he's doing well but reached out to him and said hey do you know somebody do you know somebody that knows him and so did a little bit of networking and then he reached out to me and I remember we talked a few times on the phone. And this was also at a time when he was using AOL Instant Messenger. His handle was Nobody Fresh. I always thought that was, uh, wow. that was funny. But, uh, so I remember, you know, having some conversations with him and, you know, him basically asking me, are you a juggalo? You know, this is what we're trying to do. You know, I'm, I'm trying to, you know, like, see what's gonna happen now that we're you know we're on to the next one basically and i mean I, and i gotta be honest it's not like i can remember exactly how the conversations went but what i will say is that it was very surreal because it was this thing like we had the conversations and then you know it you know i think after maybe a week or so it's like oh yeah there's a plane ticket for you so fly on out here and let's see what's going on and I just, as a 19-year-old juggalo, I've been listening to ICP since I was 14. I've been rapping since I was, I started rapping at like 16, 17 with like the homies and shit, but I had never really done anything with it. And so, record a few tracks and then suddenly, like, the only thing that I can liken it to is, like, let's say... I feel like Ice-T would be a good example here. Like, let's say the first 10 songs that you did, one of those songs, I 
he heard that and then was like, yo, I'm going to pay to fly you to my house and we're oh. going to see if we can make something Yeah, out. I mean, it's fucking bananas. It was, because I look back at it and I think to myself, I mean, again, 20 years later, this is still what I do. It was a very fucking influential moment. And I remember going out there and just... Again, very surreal, getting off the plane, getting picked up by a guy at the fucking airport with a hatchet man charm, and then driving down the street, driving... I was gonna say, technically speaking, we could probably give it some more uh, some more length now if we have to. Right? Yeah, yeah, I just did. Alright, bet. So, so we so, we got another half hour on this so bit. I, so, I, so it was very weird just getting there. I remember I, was, I had a Johnny the Homicidal Maniac comic. Sitting on the fucking little step in front of Psychopathic Records, smoking a black and mild, and it was funny. There was a guy who I kind of recognized from the gathering, like maybe he was a crew member or something, walking out of the building. I think I might have held the door for him with a box of Zug Island shit. Oh, shit. It was for the new for the new album they did, three thirty three, and I didn't know this at the time until we had the conversation. But and at the time, Jace wore me to secrecy. But they were, doing these, they were doing these new projects, Action Smash and Urban Music Zone. Excuse me. For basically, Action Smash was for Zug Island. Urban Music Zone was for MC Breed. May he rest in peace. And the reason they did that, I would assume, is because they wanted to. Jay wanted to back these artists. He wanted a rock band and he wanted a rapper, like a like a like a hood rapper. And neither of them took off, and he, but he didn't want Psychopathic Records' name specifically caught up in it. And so they were, you know, like, when you do it that way, it's easier to make it happen. But like I said, I see him carrying that shit, and then later in the day having a conversation where Jay is telling me that Zug Island and that UMZ and Axe and Smash just, like, didn't work out. But... Man, I remember it was actually very funny. Alex Abyss was still the CEO back then. And I remember meeting him in the, the office furthest back. And very cool guy, very nice. He was very cordial, short conversation. But I remember looking into the boardroom. Like you walk up the stairs, the way that the place was oriented, you walk in and I think you take a right and either go around and up the stairs or you just go right and go up the stairs or something like that. And so you go upstairs and there was an office in the corner where I think Rude Boy was at. Then there was another one where I think Rai Rai was in that office, but I can't remember. And but then so you come around and then the boardroom was like in the center and like in the center of the, the walkway over to the, the Alex's office. And I just remember looking in, and it was just a bunch of fucking menacing faces looking back out at me. And it's just like, I, it's funny because with Psychopathic, the way that it really went down in a lot of cases was that whether or not they were criminals, they were just a lot of really street, rough and tumble dudes that they all came up together and they were like, we started making money, and so we will protect this with fucking fire and blood. Right. So it was very, again, it was all very surreal. But to his credit, Jay 
was, if not very talkative, extremely like, you know, friendly. Like yeah. he was a very cool guy. I don't remember him to, and don't get me wrong, it may be rose colored glasses, I might have just been starstruck, but I don't remember him being like arrogant. I don't remember him being rude. Yeah, no, he seemed, he seemed, especially back then, he seemed mad cool and like a chill-ass I, I don't know what. I, I'll put it to you like this. I think, and I could be wrong, but I think that that was probably one of the more relatively stable periods of his life. And I only say that because the period following the Six Jokers card, after he had lost all the weight and he was like... You know, basically trying to be more like active as far as what they were doing, and this was also, you know, they knew that they were ending, you know, in Hell's Pit. Which I will also say, I used to wonder when I was younger why they ended the Six Jokers card in Hell's Pit. Like, why wouldn't you want to end in heaven? Like, why? I, that always, especially if the carnival is God, why would you want to end in hell? I never understood that. And it took me a long time to figure out that they did that. And I know this because they did that because with the six Jokers cards all being done, it was guaranteed that the Juggalo world was going to fall into crazy kinds of chaos. And that's exactly what happened. Because the Juggalo world is not the same. Well, that's, that's, that's interesting. That's a, that, that could be a whole other episode about... Well, no, but, and, uh, but, but, what I will say is, when we were having this conversation, we were driving in his car, he had an Escalade with tan spinner rims, it was pretty nice, had the extended cab, fucking, he played Murder Cloak for me, and I'm an asshole because I started talking at some point while it was playing, and not only had he said shit in blogs that he didn't like when people did that, but as a rapper, I do hate that shit, yeah. when you play a song for somebody and they start talking. I, I, so I totally get that but I had read a review of Hell's Pit um, that got posted on Fago Lovers I think and it was a more like academic in depth like looking at it and one of the things that they said talking about Hell's Pit was a main thing to consider is that in every single story everything on Hell's Pit they all lose everybody loses everybody dies everybody goes to hell nothing good at all right and that's supposed to be the idea that when i talked to jay and i asked him if he'd read that review i remember him saying you know it's funny you should say that because out of all the reviews that i've read of hell's pit that's the only one that got it right that like that was what we were going for right because they don't say juggalo at all in hell's pit because they would you know the idea was we would never believe that a juggalo could inhabit hell. Right. That juggalos are meant to be righteous people, which that's a whole other conversation. But but yeah, let, let's 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 move it along because eventually Jay gave you your name. Well, yeah, it was basically. And we got you got you got like five more albums you got to talk about, so we gotta speed oh, it up no, a little. That's, no, that honestly, that's easy enough. Um, the albums actually came about pretty procedurally over time right but okay so he basically said i went by darkness at the time and it was like i spelled it with a capital d lowercase a r capital k capital n right. lowercase e s capital s excuse me 
me, which was corny as fucking shit. Hey, bro. Uh, hey, hey, we all had before our official oh, names. No, we all had a corny know, name. Oh, I know it. My my very first rap name ever was Cyanide Killer. As it Yo, that mine mine was just what I was being called when I moved to California, which was White Boy. So I went by, but but I spelled it, but I spelled it W H Y T E B O I. <laughs> right, right, right. No, I fucks with it. So he basically said, now here's the thing. This I feel like speaks to the fact that he was trying to be a decent guy. He said that it was an issue with websites. Like the darkness already has right. a website. Realistically, I don't think that would have been an important thing. I think he was just trying to be nice and not be like, dude, that's a fucking corny ass name. And so he suggested Mad Max. And he said that he'd been talking about it with his girl, who I believe that was Michelle Sugar Slam, because that was his, she was pregnant at the time. And I remember just thinking, like, first of all, I mean, it's my name, so it's not that crazy. But second of all, I mean, this is... If I like, I do want to rap, obviously, and I'm here doing this, so it's like, yeah, fuck it, flop the river Yahtzee, let's fucking do that. I'm Mad Max, I'm with that. And so we made the song, and just one last thing about it, because I always thought this was funny, was we were making, we were starting off, like we were. I can't remember if I was, it was during the recording process or the mixing process. I think that it was after I finished recording that. Jay was like, all right, y'all. ABK was also there, and Fritz the Cat was there. And I was like, I, oh no, Jay said, all right, I'm getting out of here, but I heard Dr. Punch is going to be coming in soon. So y'all just, you know, like, y'all hang back. I'm sure we'll be here in a little bit. And then he walked out. And I was just a little confused. Like, I was just nonplussed. What? Where is he going? Who's Dr. Punch? And then became is like, oh yeah, nah, bro, that's just one of his personas. He'll be back in a minute. And so he puts on a different jersey. I can't remember exactly what it was, but like the throwback jersey of some sort, because that was also what was popping at the time was the throwbacks. And he came back in and just, I can't remember if he reintroduced himself to me or not, but it was again, the whole fucking experience was so surreal. Right. And I go home from that, like, oh, well, I guess this is what I do. And I was hoping to hear back about, like, we talked about we're going to put it on Fatter Whack, and if you win, then, um, or, you know, you know, like, which I did, then I don't remember the percentage, but I remember checking it relentlessly. That. <laughs> then, you know, we'll see what's, we'll what's going to happen. But then, just kind of never heard back. I won Fatter Whack, and I sent an email to Tom Lundberg, and I basically <laughs> said something along the lines of, well, so, you know, hey, what's going on? So I wanted to see what's up with my prize. And it sucks, because what I meant by that was, so where do we go from here? But... I think it might have been perceived as like, so what's up on my merch? Right, and right. I, and, 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 and here's the thing, though. The, your story um, is mad cool, but also it's not unique. Because this right. kind of shit happens. I've, I've met a lot of rappers who have this exact story 
I might even right. have a story just like this. <laughs> you know what I mean? Where where something like that happens and, and you're, you know, in your mind, especially if it's an idol, you know what I mean? And the motherfucker flew you out. In your mind, all this, all the possibilities are, are ringing off. But at the end of the day, after that's over and you never hear back from them, it's like, fuck, you know what? I got to be thankful for the opportunity. Oh, yeah. You know, no, and, and move I can on. tell you right now, the whole thing with psychopathic is the fact that I totally understand why he would not have wanted to work with me, at least not then. Because I was a brand-ass new 19-year-old kid that, not for nothing, definitely came from a different world than him. Yeah. You know, again, like we said this the other day, I definitely feel like he probably got some Richie vibes from me because I didn't grow up hard. I can't lie about that. Yeah. So, not only just that, but I didn't have, like, again, especially when I really consider of who he actually is and what ICP has actually done over the years. I did not understand the gravity of what was going on. But at, the, sa- but, but at the same, yeah, and at the same time, you got your name from the culture. You know what I mean? And you, you get to say that. You, no, no one can take that shit away from you. No one can take that experience. And that, that brought you, being able to have that story brought you to where you are now. And it's funny you would say that because, again, the song that I just wrote it basically speaks to exactly that, which is the fact that no matter, no matter what anybody has to say about it, I don't give a fuck. Like, I have a lot of respect for the people that are pushing Juggalo culture right now because there are a good amount of them out there. But on some real ass, like, keep it 100,000% awesome G shit I you would be hard pressed to find somebody who has sacrificed as much for, for Juggalo music as I have right. like on some real ass shit I don't know how many people there are that have had their divorce proceedings involve emails about the gathering of the Juggalos but I have <laughs> and I don't know how many people who have had situations where the state you live in technically has you on record as a member of the Juggalo gang, but I am. Right. And like, and that was based on some bullshit. I dealt with some bullshit years ago, and then just from this tattoo, that's it. That's it. I didn't fucking rep Juggalo. I didn't tell them, yo, like fucking whoop whoop, none of that shit. They saw the tattoo. They said, you are a member of the Juggalo gang. Yeah. Straight up and down. And like, it is a kind of thing where people are attaching themselves to it now. Well, let's not let's not get too sidetracked on the, on the whole gang thing. Oh well, all right. No, you want to know what? Fair enough. So I made in the absence of sanity, like right after. Finally, I came we home, finally we can get to the first album. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and by the way, you are obviously going to learn this as the time goes by. Like I told you, I talk like a motherfucker. The ADHD goes a thousand directions. <laughs> no, no, no. It's all good. But, but, but you know, like you told me, like I'll, I'll stop you and try and direct it a little more. No, because we got, we got, we got 20, 15, 20 minutes left. So let's go through the all right, catalog. No, all right. So no, I will streamline it down because, like I said, that part of it makes it a little. That it becomes a little easier. So I came home from doing that, and if I recall correctly. What actually ended up happening 
was I went to Colorado, I think in Breckenridge for that winter. And then I ended up in Denver because you want to know what the time that I was living in Philadelphia was when I was recording um, in the absence of sanity. Or actually, I take it back. I don't think I was living in Philadelphia. I just recorded it in Philadelphia because that was also I was moving all around. That's why I recorded that fucking uh, in the uh, not in the absence. That was why I recorded my saving grace in Ohio. So moving all around, and when I made um, in the absence of sanity, it's actually funny. Uh, we technically actually released it February thirtieth, which means it never came out. But so I got the CDs made. My father, you know, he paid to have it made, and it was unfortunate because they were slimline CDs, so CD stores wouldn't take them. Yeah. But <clears throat> the CDs were actually nice. You can see my fucking name printed like on the inside underneath like holographic it's actually pretty cool but so i just sold those out of hand for a while like for a good long time and then i didn't really make any more music specifically until i started working with purgatory production there was a whole thing where I think it was in 2007 or 2008 where like me and Loki started beefing because we like stopped working together it's been so long that I really don't remember how all that shit panned out and it really isn't important at this point anyway but I stopped making music with Loke I think it was probably like 2005 2006 something like that and I remember I ended up randomly going to the gathering with, there were these two dudes. Uh, one was named Doug, the other was named Chris. And they were in this group called Hysteria. They were like one of the original horrorcore groups that like really was putting time in. They fucking, excuse me, had been doing shows. They got, they, they had um, ads in Murder Dog Magazine. Like they were actually making shit happen. And they lived in New Jersey in the area. And so I remember I went out with them and there was a dude that I was working with uh, or who I basically met then and started working with uh, who went by the name DeVille Debris. Uh, he goes by Yaya the Gremlin now. And oh my just, God, dude. Yikes. Oh, you know that name? You actually know that name? Oh my God, dude. Yeah, let's, uh, no, that's bro. a whole other fucking episode. <laughs> no, bro, listen. I was gonna say for right now, I'm not gonna go into it, but I'll just I'll just leave it at I'll just leave it at uh, one of the worst fucking rappers I've ever heard in my life. Go ahead. Oh my lord, it's it's actually mind-boggling. But in any case, so didn't really I recorded some songs while I was with them, but I wasn't working on anything of my own. And after that, I really never did anything until I made it to Massachusetts and I started working with Hightown Records. Okay. And once I started doing that. I recorded Vile. That's one of my more, uh, my more well-known songs. Um, I recorded UTU once I got up here, um, which that stands for Unearth the Underground, which that album is important because it has the song Lepke on it, which is the song about my grandfather's experience in the Holocaust. So that song means a lot to me. But So I made UTU, and it took a while for it to come out. But I do remember that... 
the, the the artwork that was made for it, the homie just made it out of nowhere, and it's so fucking good. Like, I don't know if he stole it from something or what, because the the face kind of does look like me on there, and yeah. it's just like I don't know how the fuck he made it, but I'm so glad that he did because it looks so good, and. That was these are all albums that are being recorded basically in people's like basements. By the way, like nah. in the absence of sanity, was recorded in actual studios. That much. So is this true. is this is oh. absence of oh. absence of sanity was 05, right? And then yes. unearthed well, so, unearthed yes. underground was 2010. And you want to know what? I'm an asshole. This just goes to show how fucking stupid I am. I forgot that I recorded Sick Hop in 2006. Sick Hop okay. was the second thing that I did with Seven Seal Entertainment that was like right before Mission In Fact started. Yeah, yeah, and Mission and In Fact that could you joined the group Mission In Fact and that that could be a whole episode well, no, too. So, well, no, so interesting story. Technically, I was part of Mission In Fact from the beginning of it, but then I fell out with them right before they started to expand it with other people. Yeah, and I also did the Devil's Rejects. But I didn't mention that because I was confused on the timeline. The only thing I can remember is that I wrote Devil's Rejects, my verses, while I was living in Colorado in fucking Breckenridge working at a 7-Eleven. That's where I was working when I wrote Devil's Rejects. And so, and that, that was another problem because I was trying to remember if I had recorded, I'm trying to remember if In the Absence of Sanity came out before or after Devil's Rejects. In any case... I had forgotten that stuff, but no, most of the Mission Infect shit, I actually did not take part in until they had me do a few songs on Extermination. Right. Which, that was actually, because we had had the beat for a while, nobody knew that I was working with them again, and then because we had squashed everything, I was actually on a a bunch of really good songs on that album, and... That was a pretty good experience. Yeah, there's that, some, like, there's some, there's, there's some bangers on there for sure. And oh I, yeah, no, for sure. I was just so, listening, like, I was just listening to that the other day. That's that's fucking some bangers. Yeah, no, I was gonna tell you. I honestly, Mission in fact really does because a lot of Juggalo rap crews fucking suck shit at rapping, but Mission in fact was not one of them. Yeah, like that. That to me was something that I thought was really important about what I feel is my place in Juggalo culture is the fact that Juggalos were not really rapping lyrically like us until we showed up. Yeah. Because we all came from these hip-hop traditions. <laughs> we hung with people that were legit hip-hoppers that and a lot can't of rap. Juggalos, a lot of Juggalo rappers, they're just imitating ICP. Exactly. Or they come from, you know, all they listen to is ICP. They couldn't tell you shit about Rakim or Ice-T or fucking even Jazzy Jeff and Fresh Prince. You know what I mean? Like these these yeah. motherfuckers oh, know yeah. nothing. So so when you finally hear some lyrical motherfuckers going at it, it's mad refreshing. See, it's a funny thing for me because I am really glad that I was always on the lyrical edge with shit because just like I don't know, like I don't have memorized as much of the classics as I'd like to, but I was always well inundated. Especially because the internet gave me the ability to listen to everything. I was able to listen to a lot of original OG hip-hop. Like, I know Rakim's shit. I just... He wasn't somebody I listened to a ton of. No, um, but at, D, least, at least you knew the fucking name. 
I mean, you well, could no, you, you could go to these, like, you could go to a lot of these juggalos and say you like Rakim, and they'll be like, oh, yeah. oh no, well, so the, oh no, that yeah, on that front, you are. And this uh, is this is gonna be this is gonna be this is gonna be a great episode for the future. Where, uh, you know, you come from that juggalo world. Like I said earlier, I don't. I come from the, the underground, just more, a different scene in right. the underground. Juggalo is one scene in the underground. Um, right. But that's something we could have a great, because I find a lot of hypocritical shit, me and you have talked about it with the juggalos. Oh, yeah. Oh, and, sure. and, oh, and, sure. and like I said, that'll be a great episode. But we got like um, barely 10 minutes left. Let's talk about. Okay. I want to. Well, no. so hold up, hold up. I'll streamline it. Okay. Streamline. Okay. So streamline. The next it. album that I did after UTU. Where the Wild Things Are, Sex right? Sex and Violence. No, no. Sex and Violence came next. Okay. And so, I the, the way that I have it uploaded on Spotify doesn't have it accurately for when it was released. But, so, that album came from, and it, I hate to do it, but credit where credit is due. My ex-wife was looking around for beats because of the time she was helping me with that. And she found a few good ones. And I was just writing, like, the name came honestly from a Monty Python documentary. Because apparently that was a name that they were thinking about for Monty Python. They didn't end up using it. See, this is, this, is, this is why I fuck with you. Not only do you love White Zombie, like I do, you just dropped Monty Python on my ass, bro. Yo, I love Monty Python. Oh, bro. Well, then good, because that's another top ten. So, because <laughs> we can do top ten Monty Python sketches. Fuck fucking top ten movies. I don't know that they have ten. Anyway, so Sex and Violence, that was like, it was well received. Big shout out to, big shout out to uh, Danny Diablo, Gotta Banger, Sex and Violence. song too that's a good track it's got a good video too fucking so that album was way was reasonably well received and it was also the first thing that i did after leaving hightown so i was kind of reestablishing myself as a solo act and because i did some shit i did an album called uh, it fucking figures with this dude uh goes by burley now he's a reject back then uh hostile figures and it's not a terrible project like there are some good songs on it for sure but that's a whole other conversation. Fucking reject. I I don't wish him bad, but I'm not really interested in talking to him either. But either way, so well, I, I got made, a surprise for you. He's the next guest on the show. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh man, he would too. But um, no fucking so sex and violence, and then where the wild things are. That was an interesting story. That's your full. That's your before. full trap record. That's like. I mean, it was the first album that I was rapping on those kinds of beats, which the reason why that happened was because I did a contest for a website called Alien Nation, which was being run by Cryptic Wisdom. And then when I won the, the big, contest... Uh, fuck you I to that guy, by the way. I'm just throwing it out there. Fuck Cryptic Wisdom. Go ahead. I want to know what? I don't know enough about him, for, like, personally, but everything that I've heard is bad. So if you say fuck him, then it's fuck him. In any case, fucking... So when I won the contest, I got a bunch of beats from Tristan on the track. And when I got them, I loved them. And I was just like, hey, listen, let me buy a few more off you so I can round this out and have this album. And then I got a couple of beats from a couple other places. And then I did fucking, I was recording originally at Block McLeod's Padded Room Studios in Worcester. Shout out Block. But then I 
can't remember what happened or why it closed down specifically, but and there's a there's a story from that time, but I'm not gonna tell it because it's not my place technically. But fucking and it was it was happening while I was reporting where the wild things are. However, um, had to finish it with the homie Carl. I don't know how to say his last name. I think it's Hova Jimmy, who was working with a studio called Deep Blue in Worcester. Now he's done shit for he did shit for Joyner Lucas, like when Joyner Lucas was originally originally starting in Worcester. Yeah. And to his credit, where the wild things are sounds like it does because of him. He was able to take beats that had no stems and flip them and mix them into shit that sounded fucking glorious. Well, that album, that that album sounds fucking amazing. I I told you all about that. I was listening to it a week ago. Which interesting story? I was paying Carl for the studio time, and the way that we ended up doing it was he had an Xbox at the studio, and while he was mixing, I would play Arkham because I just liked that game, and he happened to have it. And because it was a good studio, a good studio usually has some shit like that, or sometimes they do. Anyway, fucking, I'm you know we got to talking about Xbox, and I was talking about how I just got this deal where I did it. I bought a TV, and with the TV they gave you an Xbox One, and I was like, he was. I think he said he would like knock two hundred bucks off the recording time if I gave it to him. So I can't remember exactly how it broke down, but that was what I did. I gave him the Xbox, and then for years later. And he said this over and over every time we communicated that it was the most worthwhile studio session that he ever did because he the, the Xbox he never would have bought it otherwise because he just his money he didn't put it into things like that. So that was just so funny how that broke down. And then honestly, all of the albums after that were like like the Painted Road. It wasn't an album. I That's just made just songs. These songs, yeah. And, I just made songs in my home. It was like, oh, you should put this together into an album. And then we got some artwork made and boom, there you have it. Right. Um, and then I'm trying to remember, um, I, there's a version I released of In the Absence of Sanity that has a bunch. A lot of songs that I did weren't on albums back in the day. They were just songs that I put them out on the internet. Well, what about um, uh, Dead Leaves? Dead Leaves, okay, so I will say... Dead Leaves is important because the homie Chris, who was living with me for a long time, I love him with all of my heart, um, he basically was like, we're going to make an album. And he had access to my Facebook page and my, my artist Facebook, and he posted a fucking picture that said 103109. And I was like, fuck, that means I have to do it now. And so I just started looking for beats, and I made some really great tracks, and I really am very proud of a lot of those yeah, songs. Yeah, man, fucking and, uh, Gritting Pumpkins is a banger. That is, I, I, that is Dubs. Fucking shout out to Dubs, one of my, one of the best artists I know in the underground, one of the coolest guys I know. Well, and we can, um, we can do a whole episode about Joker and have him on and Massetti. Yeah, <laughs> we, we can. We, I actually had some shit with Joker briefly. It never made, it never became anything because so did I, he bro. didn't give a fuck enough about me to address it. I did, I did a song, I did a song with Joker, and I can't believe I got a verse back. That's yeah. That's <laughs> All right, so, so so I was gonna say real quick. So there was that, and then how is over was basically the same thing. It yeah. was just like I need to do something because I haven't done something in a while. And again, some of those songs like in your casket, 
that's technically speaking one of the best songs I ever did. Yeah. And um, homie, I don't give a fuck. I do like that one because it's just like ah, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> and again, it's also you know rapping juggalo shit like uh, Salem the wants to waste some real clowns. Yeah, we rapping bitch, but we for real down. What's good? Like people don't understand like. This is where it's funny because most people look at Juggalos like just trailer park nerds and shit. But the reality, my reality has been Juggalos in many cases are hardcore criminals. Seriously, mentally ill, drug abused criminals. Oh yeah, well I could could tell you everyone that, um, you know, when I went back to Oregon, like I was saying earlier, when I was like 18, everyone that, that was friends of my junkie family everyone had icp either an icp flag one dude was wearing an oh, icp wow. shirt oh, and these are straight meth head motherfucker crazy biker motherfuckers like see that's what i'm saying you want to know what it really is crazy sometimes when i when i really do parse it out but like well we ain't got we ain't got time to parcel it out we got two minutes left I think oh, no, I. Enough. Well, so this is what I was gonna say, and we can definitely leave on this: is that in true Juggalo fashion, my career is very erratic. Especially, you can tell in the way that I that I that I fucking um, talk about it. I don't even really. I don't remember where I went and where I recorded a lot of different shit. I like there's no real good timeline on a lot of stuff. And like I said, a lot of songs came out and just came out. There was a period of time I worked with Prone Records with Gruesome for for a while. With Gruesome, I have all the love for him. But Prone was supposed to be its own thing, and then it wasn't. And you know, there was a period where everybody had their own record label, but. No, again, there it really it has been very erratic. And the next album that I have, Kaleidoscope, trying to get that finished soon because trying to kind of close the book on that style of Mad Max, and then kind of well, because you gotta open the you gotta open the, a new chapter to what we're exactly. gonna do, and and, and that's exactly what I'm saying. Which, by the way, that's exactly what I'm talking about with the shit that we got coming because. Based on the level of skill, the level of culture, and the level of what I believe to be dedication, I think that we have enough of a unique product to, like, I, I think we're going to make Oh, yeah, and, and, and we're, me and you, look, once we do it. me and you are, if, and not to sound like an arrogant asshole rapper who's on a fucking pedestal, but I'm just, I'm being realistic. Me and you have accomplished... 10 times more than most people who want to be rappers. Oh, yeah. You know oh, what I mean? Way, I, and I would also like to say, again, just from a technical standpoint, I don't fuck with scrub rappers. If you can't really spit, then you're not like. My I, don't, I, I, I would like, go a step like, further and say, I would go a step further and say, I don't fuck with rappers who don't know how to hustle. I don't. I'm saying, bro. I don't give a fuck if you can wrap your ass off. If you have no fans, I can't fuck with you. Oh, facts. <laughs> you gotta have a hustle, bro. I'm telling you, I think that what, and especially what it really comes down to, is everything that I have, every fan that I've got, every play that I've ever gotten has only come. From the fact that I could spit my fucking ass off, like, and, and 
and make a good song out of it. Well, that, what I, no, that's what I'm saying. That's what that, that's what I believe that shit means. Because if you can if you can spit bars, like whatever. But you gotta be able to actually make a song, write a hook, and here's, have a concept. Yeah, and here's another beautiful thing about us. Yes, we are known more for being aggressive, gutter-ass, rugged, white boy hip-hop. But at the end of the day, me and you both have shit where it's like, what, will these motherfuckers just go emo on us? I'm, uh, oh, what, yeah. is the, what is this boom-bap shit that sounds like it's from 1993? We can oh, do... Are you kidding me? I wrote a straight-up fucking love song back in 2006 called Short Stories, where sometimes I is the actual name of the song, but fucking, I wrote it for a girl I was dating at the time, long distance, and didn't end up working out. Yeah, <laughs> we all we all got that those tracks. <laughs> I wrote a follow-up to that song called The Greatest Love That Never Was. I don't know if I ever actually put that song out, but... But but but, but the fact that the fact that you can do that and still be a raw ass aggressive MC just like me, that's what is gonna make when we when we're teaming up for this project that we're, we're that we're doing. Oh yeah. We we are going oh, yeah. to be able to plus not just our talent level but our hustle level. You know what I mean? And oh, our yeah. connection level of of how far we've both come, and we are gonna be able to take this shit and really make a movement out of it. You know what I mean? Because no, we that, both. Bro, that's kind of, bro. That's where I'm at. Is the fact that like there are so many people out here that, like I said, and it's not even necessarily just Juggalo culture. It's underground culture where like it's easy. Like I said, the the cost of entry is way lower. It's easier to get involved now. It's not hard to be a rapper with artwork and songs and being on Spotify and this like. There are people that I've met that think being on Spotify is fucking tremendous, and it's like, what? All you need is 50 bucks. Yeah. All you need is 50 bucks in an album, and it's on Spotify. Boom, there you go. Done. Yeah. Like, it's funny to me how much, like, people romanticize rap. How much they romanticize the rap game and romanticize what being a rapper actually entails. Oh, dude, it's so, it's so fucking crazy what people, how people perceive it. Oh yeah, it's it's, it's kind of ridiculous sometimes. And that like, that could be that could be another episode because we're about to be fucking oh, yeah. cut hey, off. So this hey, has listen, been. How do you feel? Like, you start, look, no, not for nothing. A, I think that that should start becoming a um, like a tagline. That could be <laughs> that could be another episode. Which, by the way, start writing that shit down because the more that we can do this, if this is all that it's going to take. The only difference that's going to come from this first episode and episode 100, let's say, because I do want to look that far forward, the only difference is going to be we're going to have better technology at our use. Yeah, so yeah. So we should say we should say it's our first episode. Eventually, we're going to have video. We're gonna. Oh we're yeah. No, we're gonna. Oh yeah, and we're gonna have better audio recording going forward. This is more about if you know, if I may say, this is more about just actually doing it. Because I think that, the, the, you know, there's so much talk, and even for myself, so many things I think of, I want to do this, I want to do that. I think actualizing is so fucking Yeah, it's like, it's, like, it's like kicking it with that cokehead friend who's just constantly talking about the shit he's going to do, but never does. We're finally doing it. <laughs> no, I'm saying, and that's why I'm talking about, we definitely should, uh, you know, we're going to keep it moving. 
and again, you know, we're, uh, you know, going to try to do it on Mondays, but we can also try to, uh, you know, work it around however we're going to do it. If we want to do it more often, again, there's lots of fucking podcasts out there. There's no reason we can't add yeah. several more into the mix. Yeah, and, and we're, we're, we're not just... Sorry, go ahead. No, I was, all, I'm sorry. What I was going to say was eventually um, we are going to start bringing people on. Because I one thing that I got to tell you, this is definitely one of the reasons why when we first started talking, I was actually willing to listen to you, is that you know and work with a lot of pretty high-profile people. And I'm pretty impressed by that. But I also, um, and you'll see this as time goes by, I am aggressively against calling in favors like i'm really weird about and because we had this conversation now the other day where like i feel very strange in wanting to like hey uh, come, come do, do the podcast yeah more or less and not even necessarily just the podcast itself but like i said you've done some work with some really high profile people just generally speaking and so at that point whether or not people are getting paid, people choose who they want to work with. Right. You know what I'm saying? I will admit, I just recently did a fucking collab that I feel like it's going to be so small that nobody's ever going to see it, but I needed the money, so I was like, fuck it. Yeah. It's just, I'm not going to say his name, I'm not going to say who it is, but it is so fucking bad. <laughs> like, hey, man, we've all been in that position. Sometimes you just need the dough. It's bro, that the existence of that fucking collaboration <laughs> is proof positive that the Juggalo world was rooted in heavy metal. That kid never fucking listened to a rapper outside of Insane Clown Posse, I promise you. I have a feeling you saying that, I have a feeling who it is, but I ain't gonna blow up your spot. No, no, you wanna know what? It's, it's somebody who is completely unknown, unknown. Oh, okay, okay. Not somebody. No, there is no. We should get. We should get. We should get a uh, kid crusher on the show and just talk mad shit. Oh fuck you! <laughs> you know what? Here's my thing. No, I gotta be honest with you. This is the problem. That if you look at Kid Crusher like it's rap, you're gonna be unimpressed. Ah uh, no! I, I listened to. I listened to it as new metal too. I was unimpressed. The, oh, do you wanna know what? Okay, that's fair. But this is. <laughs> This is what I will say. I remember there was a period of time. Hustle. That's what I I got to give him. Hustle. I was working with a guy named Trips for a while. Or I I think we did some songs together. He's from Australia. He knew Kid Crusher. And he said he was a really solid guy. I'm sure, yeah. So, at that point, I I feel bad talking shit about people that I know (laughs) are decent people. (laughs) Because it's like... Yeah, no, no, I know, I know, I know what you're saying, bro. Like, no, 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 listen to me. He did a video once. It's probably still out there on the internet somewhere, where he did fucking full makeup effects, dressed up like the Grinch in a green twisted jersey, doing fucking Grinch twisted. No, I promise you that shit exists. I promise you, I did not Mandela effect. Oh my god, dude. Yeah, we're well, we're gonna have uh, that. Could be a whole other episode. You want to know what the best part about that story is? Uh, that he's the one that got the fucking Law and Order episode. Oh, I know, dude. Listen, that, well, well, we got plenty of time to talk. Listen, you want to know what? I will have to talk to her. I don't know if she would be willing to discuss it, and I totally respect if she doesn't want to. But 
the fucking story that that episode was made about that was based on when I did the song The Horrors of Reality on Sex and Violence at the end of it when two of the people that I dedicated to are the people that got killed by that kid Psycho Sam yeah and like Rafael to this day when they perform they put up the banner that has their picture every year they do she fest that I've done it two years in a row every they always I, I'm pretty sure they brought them at the uh, the other tour that they did too every tour they always bring that shit like that shit that was their effect can I can I interrupt you real quick and, about, can, let, let me say this what? about because uh, you mentioned Razakel <laughs> and she's a deep deep underground artist for those who don't know um, and I gotta say I do, like you were saying, like, Kid Crusher, you know, all you've heard is nothing but good things. And it's the same thing that I heard with Razakel. Yet, in the beginning, I'm talking four or five years ago, I was talking so right. much shit. Because I thought she sounded right. fucking... Well, listen, this is what I will tell you. But hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Because I did talk to, I did talk to Razakel about a year and a half, two years ago. And I flat out okay. told her, I flat out told her, look, um... This was my opinion at the time. I actually think right. you've gotten a lot better over the last couple right. of years, and I gave her mad props, and she was like, yo, that's fucking awesome. Thank you. So she's Word. mad cool. No, I did. No, first of all, she's for sure one of the most solid human beings I have ever met. I would fucking fight in the street for her. But, well, no, but that's just straight up and down. But so, fucking. The earlier stuff that she had done, I don't, I never really heard that much of it, but I actually remember a track where it was like, bitches wanna bite me, dudes wanna wife me. And it was like, it, it, like she wasn't killing it necessarily, but it was catchy and it was cool. Yeah. And as the time has gone by, having seen her do the work that she does, like she still has the ability to fucking tour and do shows and shit based solely on what fucking team she is doing and not to mention like she there's a dude that works with there's a bunch of dudes that work with them um hard jaws and fucking diabolic the monster you should look them up bro because they are two of the hardest rappers i've ever heard oh, okay. like all like some gs shit diabolic his diabolic was actually part of axe for a time and then they you know, I've heard out. I've heard the name people people recommended uh, me to listen no, to. No, him bro, he is a fucking problem. I remember when I did Gorefest years. I just ago, I, I just I just never liked that. It's like yo, one of the biggest underground rappers' name is Diabolic. You gotta cut that shit. No, no. Hey, listen, I know, but he's <laughs> Diabolic the monster. He Ooh. spells it differently. And I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. It's still. Yeah, it's it's you know what it is, but but I, I, no, but no, I've never listen, listened. Honestly, I've never listened. No, I, you wanna know what? That's fair. And what I will say is this: if it was literally any other human being on Earth, I would be willing to concede to that argument. But like, not only is he one of the dopest rappers that I've ever met, he is a combat veteran and Props, a respect. father, and I like. I no, I got no problem with that. That I do for most people, and because I've had the same thought, where Diabolic is a, a, a staple of hip hop culture. That verse on fucking uh, Dance with the Devil yeah. is one of the most well known verse. More people know that verse than know the name Diabolic. Yeah, and like again, and it's one of the dopest hip hop verses of all time. And not to mention. He's like just super, super dope as a rapper. Yeah. But again, 
this is one of the places where I honestly feel like I don't think that this section, my section of the underground, gets the credit that we deserve for the skill, at the very least. Yeah. Because the numbers and whatever, you can make that argument. That part's easy enough. But to say that within the horror core section of the underground, that there is not fast lyrical skill, I think that that's a crazy oversight. Oh, of course it is. Of course it's all right, bro. So 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 let's yeah, end this. I think that maybe we probably could end it on that. That is probably <laughs> a good, uh, a good point. This has been a wild and, fucking. Uh, this has been a wild ride of first episode. Now we are going to be doing top tens. We're going to be doing album reviews. We're going to be doing interviews. Oh, yeah. We're going to be the fucking drink oh, champs yeah. of underground hip hop. You know what I mean? And, and I'm saying we're trying to bring underground, trying to bring underground hip hop. That is that ground. that is yes. if we can ever come up with the goddamn name, but we'll. Figure it out. Oh yeah, oh no. We will uh we will definitely uh do some powwowing on that. We will fucking uh figure it out. We might have to call it we might have to call it if we get a listening if we get a listenership first, maybe we'll let them decide it. <laughs> we might have to call it that's a whole nother episode. Yeah, you wanna know what? That's honestly hey, as far as I'm concerned, fuck it. That that, that sounds perfect. I think that's it right there. That's a whole other episode. There it is. Well, it'll be that for now. That's what we'll call this episode. <laughs> no, bro. Hey, I'm saying. I think that that is a very good, organic, fucking solid name. <laughs> you know what? Other, you know what? Let's do it. Other, that's a whole other episode. Should we it's call it that? Other. Are you down? Absolutely. I think that's a <laughs> That's it is. And it all comes from fucking Mad Max's insane rambling. It's, that's a whole other episode. Hey, well, insane ramblings, bro. There's obviously. Oh, dude, that's another one. Insane ramblings. All right, brother. Certainly will. All right, well, yeah, we will uh, do this again soon, my man. All right, homie. Until next time, bro. Peace. Peace.